0: speak with severe in the hot seat today all the way from the uk is um phil frazier uh let me tell you a little bit about him uh phil went from a kitchen table startup with no investment all the way to multi-million pound sale to a plc 18 years later he's traveled the full sme business journey phil now works with ambitious sme owners as a business sounding board which we will definitely talk about Uh, and uh, as a business coach and a mentor and a personal NED. We will talk about what that is. In simple terms, he's a pair of ears and an extra pair of eyes for SME owners, helping them uh, to to be better at what they do. The key time most business owners look for outside help is when they reach a next stage or step up uh, point in their business journey. That's where Phil comes in. Phil's mantra is it doesn't need to be lonely at the top. As a business sounding board, he gives SME owners the time and space to regularly discuss their challenges and opportunities with no sense of judgment or bias and incomplete confidence. This allows them to explore their options in full, culminating with a list of issues to address, cal- clarify, a clear target in mind, a roadmap to success, and a renewed enthusiasm and confidence for the challenges ahead. Phil? Welcome to the show.
1: Nice to be here, Sabir. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the
0: intro. I couldn't have written it better myself. <laughs> um, first, actually, I want to I want to start here because all of pretty much all the content I've done so far on this show has been focused on the U.S. market, U.S. entrepreneurs, United States of America, entrepreneurs, startups, and uh, even though we speak the same language, right? Uh, even though you, you you probably believe that I don't even speak English. This is not English. This is whatever it is, you know. Uh, the thing is, I think culturally, we are very different from a business culture standpoint, you know, understanding the sense of, you know, hustle, startup, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, failure, you know, things of that nature, or even success, right? Those kinds of things, the way the U.S. market, and the U.S. people, um, you know, view those kinds of things is very different lens than what happens in the U.K. Uh, c- uh, can you shed some light on on the cultural differences between the two markets? Yeah, I think one of the one of the classic,
1: probably the key one, is is the the view to to business. I'll uh, use the word failure. Um, I think in the U.S. it's perceived as as just you know war medals and it's part of your learning and it's part of your growth and and i think in the uk it's a bit more case of oh you tried a business you tried to launch a business it didn't work you must be a failure whereas we all know you know you learn a lot more from failure than you do from success so in the uk i think it 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 can be seen as a negative whereas i think in the us it's very much um you know it's part of the journey to success i think the other thing I think the U.S. probably has more of an in, in, inbuilt culture of, of entrepreneurship. I think it's growing in the U.K. And it's, and it's become more and more. And I think possibly COVID and lockdown has, has actually encouraged people to go, right, I'm getting out of the, you know, the corporate lifestyle, I'm getting out of the rat race, and I'm going to do something I enjoy doing, maybe do it from home, maybe do it uh, with somebody I used to work with. So that sort of startup thing. I think a lot of people have started doing in the UK, so there are there are differences. Um, and I, you know, one of the things I do, I think, is very different as well. Is you know, I'm a we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm a what I call a business sounding board. It sort of fits in the coaching and mentoring landscape. And I think in in the US, it's almost default for somebody to have a personal mentor and a coach and a business coach. Um, in the UK, it's very, very different. I'm actually in the middle of doing some research on exactly this about coaching and mentoring and about, at the moment, the figures are looking like about 65 to 70% of business owners don't have a mentor or a coach. And, you know, that's that's disappointing, worrying, um, and I think it, but part of it, I think, is cultural. Um, so, yeah, there are there are big differences between the two.
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, you say that. I'll, I'll mention um, two TV shows that made it across the pond, right? Uh, one was The Office uh, with uh, Ricky Gervais, right? He brought it over yeah. uh, on this side. He starred in one of them. And the other one, he actually directed and he was responsible for creating it in the US. And if you see the subtleties in in, in the business culture, in the office culture, right, you could actually see it, even though it was like, I, I think it was like two seasons in in the uk and many seasons uh you know i think it's like 10 years of it here in in the u.s um that that's uh you, you could clearly see the difference between those two kind of cultures um and, and they had to adapt it to the u.s in a very different way than than the show the way the show was on uh in the, in the uk it's, it's kind of a uh it, it kind of gives you that sense what do you think about that
1: it's interesting you say that um i'm i'm a great fan of the office in the uk and my daughter is is a huge fan of the office in the us and it's 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 almost on 24 7 in our house so i i've watched both and i see the difference um but something i think you i I thought you were going to mention but i mean you may get onto mentioning um you have the program sharks tank we call it dragon's den in the uk yep and I don't know if you've noticed or if you have seen um, the, the UK's longest running uh, shark or dragon, as we call him, Peter Jones, has just started appearing on Shark Tank in the US. Now, I haven't seen any of those shows yet, but it'll be fascinating to see his different perspective on how he sees potential investments compared to your regular US sharks. That'll be, I think that'll be absolutely fascinating.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the other show that I was thinking of was um, Gordon Ramsay's uh, Kitchen Nightmares in the UK versus Kitchen Nightmares in the US. Very different. That's or my, or Hell's my, Kitchen.
1: That's my daughter's other favorite program. <laughs> so we have that on. If The Office isn't on, it's it's usually Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. So I've watched all of those as well. They're fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, with Kitchen Nightmares, the reason I bring it up is because how, you know, you know how... Um, Gordon Ramsay interacts with the business owners uh, in the UK. To me, it seems very polite and respectful, and 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 um, uh, counseling almost, you know. But when it comes to the US, um, it could be a very similar kind of restaurant. He's yelling and screaming at them, you know. Oh, it's yeah. a very different. <laughs> I, I don't well, know we- if it's it's for the camera or or if that that's a business difference between the two cultures.
1: Well, we see that we. Again, we see that from the other side. So I've watched Ramsey's U.S. Kitchen Nightmares and we watch that agog. You know, how how can he deal with people like that? And it's just, you know, we just we obviously we're British and we're very we're very you know, restrained. So we think, oh, my God, that's so rude. How can he do that? Um, but yeah, again, it, you, you get that cultural difference between the two.
0: Now, since we're on this, uh, let's talk about um, business mentoring and coaching. I've been doing it all my career, you know, startup owners, founders, even startups within the college university inside dorm rooms. Uh, those kids have actually reached out to me so that I can help them, uh, mentor them. I've been doing it. I love mentoring. Uh, you know, I've, some of them are, are uh, uh, as a kind of give back to the community. I, I do it for my time versus other ones where where there are business owners who hire me to actually coach them, right? G- given that education is such an important thing, and that's that's the kind of a disparity I see here, right? Uh, education is such an important thing in, in the British system, right? All, as well as in the American, right? But more so in the British system, I believe, that when it comes to when you leave school, right? When you have finished with your university, college, high school, whatever, secondary school, why is it then frowned upon that you should not be asking for help
1: that is a really 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 good question and i actually don't know what the answer is to that i think you know i mentioned previously culturally it doesn't seem to be a default situation for you uk people now you know, as you are growing a business, you often will get to a situation where you feel you need to reach out and you need to ask for help and you need support and you look for business coaches and you look for mentors. Um, but it's, it's pretty rare as a default situation. It's usually something that, that people fall upon or get to a point where they feel they need, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's solving a negative rather than adding as a positive. So it's like, I've got a problem where do I go for help, rather than another, you know, the opposite, which really should be, we're doing okay, how do we get better? And culturally, that just, you know, I don't know why it's not there. You know, education tends to point people towards, you know, I mean, this is very, very broad and and, and, and probably dismissive of lots of things, and I don't mean to be but, you know, we're expected to be lawyers and doctors and dentists and accountants and all those sort of professions. Whereas, yeah, you know, the entrepreneurship thing and launching your own business and doing your own thing—I'm not saying it's frowned upon, but it's not in that sort of top tier list of what one is expected to do when you leave university.
0: But but is that is that a a um, a problem with education, or are there programs that government doesn't have? Like here, there's a whole SBA, which is a Small Business Administration. There's a whole government agency with every chapter in every state and city that would help you when you're thinking about, even if you don't know much about business, but you know how to make pizza, you know, that's your, let's say, when I say pizza, it could be your product. It could be fashion, shoes, whatever, you know, and, but you don't know how to do the business side of it. You could actually go and there are programs that you could attend government funded that you could go in. Is is it a government issue or is it, or it's just because it's not part of the culture, the government, doesn't even have any kind of programs to assist you, even if you want to go down this path less traveled.
1: I, th- I think there are there are nowadays there are actually lots and lots of programs out there. Um, and one of the one of the key drivers of it is, is actually been a, a lot of the high street banks. They've started doing accelerator programs and, and enterprise zones and all that sort of thing. The government are doing stuff. Local government is doing stuff. Um, independent businesses are doing stuff. There is help out there. But actually finding it is very, very difficult because it's a mishmash of stuff. It's in all sorts of different places. It's not you know, certain bits of it formalized, certain bits of it aren't. I've done formal mentor training through third parties who have been funded by local government. Um, but again, you know, they'll get the money from local government. They'll implement the, the mentoring. Then they have to go out and market it and say, Hey, we've got all this money from local government who wants to come on our mentoring scheme um so it's not as it's, it doesn't seem to be as easy as as maybe you're explaining in the us but there is tons and tons of stuff out there in the uk it's just finding it sometimes can be really really difficult
0: okay so uh, what, what the next question i'm going to ask you has to do with because every every culture every every um geography country has its own version of challenges with business right um what what are some of the top and and i want to i want you to also touch on the business sounding framework or the business sounding board i would like you to uh touch upon that what are some of the main challenges of the uk smes that you see Uh, and i know that uh given the pandemic that has changed a lot of things i I believe that pandemic has actually changed business for for the better (laughs) that's my opinion Strong opinion from my experience over the past 24 months. I'm in New York. We were the, one of the hardest hit places in the world, you know, as far as the pandemic goes. Um, but I think that it just, op- that adversity has opened up tremendous opportunity. But if, if we put that aside, you know, if you put the pandemic aside, what, what are the main challenges that you see with SMEs in the UK? Um,
1: I think if you, if you take the pandemic out of it, um, I think it's all the usual sort of stuff that SMEs will find. So it, it's that it's that growth from, okay, I've got this great idea. I'm going to launch a business. Uh, you know, we've got to sort of what you would call in the US first base. You know, we've got some sales, we've, we've got a bit of traction. It's all the next steps of growth um, that are obviously difficult just by the nature of the SME journey. And it's where you, you know, all the things that then feed into the problems you have with growth. So it's, it could be funding, it could be staff, it could be expertise, it could be marketing. These are all the things that, that you know, the growth pains that SMEs have as they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, one of the things I'm involved in now is um, is angel investment, um, you know, either, either seed funding or, or, or startup. And there are lots and lots and lots of companies out there who get to that point and go, right, okay, we actually, you know, we need some money to, to, to keep this going and get to the next stage. Um, and a lot of them don't know where to go to do that. So that's the problem. And then the next question is, okay, have I, you know, if I've got the money or I've got the opportunity, have I got the expertise to take advantage of that? Um, so the whole growth thing, I think, is a, is a big thing. Um, in the UK, and I don't want to get political on this, but obviously we've had Brexit.
0: And, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I want to tell you about a country called USA. Yeah. Uh, we have our own set of political issues. Oh, well, well, we,
1: we spent last year watching, <laughs> you know, watching your lunatic president. So, um, yeah, Brexit has caused, obviously it's caused opportunities for people, but the vast majority of it seems to be problems, whether that be supply chain, whether again, it be staff. Um, whether it just be bureaucracy and red tape, um, you know, it, it seems to have created lots and lots of problems. Um, and you know, simple supply chain things that that worked really well previously now aren't working. Um, so you, you know, and, and I, I think Brexit and the pandemic, on top of all the usual things SMEs struggle with, just has made it more difficult. But there are opportunities out there, you know, one of the, one of the, the uh, a, a great phrase I heard recently, that really, really resonated with me was, okay, what does this current situation now allow me to do, which tips everything upside down? It's not, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. It's actually looking at the other way. Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a, a very, very simple example. During lockdown, um, two of our local Italian restaurants one of them closed down for the whole of the pandemic. Didn't do anything at all. The other one started doing takeaway pizzas and takeaway deliveries, and we personally used them lots because they're really good pizzas. But again, two two completely identical businesses looking at this in completely different ways. So, so the pandemic gave somebody an opportunity because I don't think they did deliveries beforehand. Whereas another one just said, "Right, I'm out of it," um, and it, you know. That comes from the business owner. That's the business owner who's making that decision. And that's that person who goes, okay, what does this situation that we're now in allow me to do? Where are the opportunities?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. You, you talked about the uh, the Brexit supply chain issues. I could tell you that on the west coast of the United States, there are so many ships from China waiting to be docked and we don't have enough people, enough docking ports to take up all of the backlog of supply chain that's coming in, and when I was seeing, when I'm seeing that right now, it's funny that for me, I was seeing the same thing because I was following Brexit very closely, right? Because the thing is, when you are in e-commerce, there is no boundaries. It's like everywhere, you know. And if a brand wants to play in another another market, I need to know about that market. So when uh, when when the Brexit happened, r- right within the next, I would say two three weeks. They showed, they showed uh, videos on, on YouTube of trucks and lorries waiting with their supplies at the UK border trying to get in. But because of the Brexit, now they cannot bring supply in. That's it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I went like, oh, I've seen this before. It happened with Brexit in the UK. It's the same thing. This one happens to be on a ship and they cannot yeah. even dock.
1: And uh, we, We've got the situation w- both with import and export. So, you know particularly the news, particularly when Brexit first happened, the the Scottish fishing industries were, you know, exporting all their product were just having a nightmare. They couldn't get it out. But then you've got e-commerce people who, are, you know, a lot of stuff comes from China or, or, or particularly across the rest of Europe, can't get product in. And this is supposed to be, you know, for the benefit of the UK. It doesn't, from a business point of view at the moment, I mean, there may well be lots and lots of success stories out there, but from what I'm seeing and from what I'm hearing, um, you know, it's causing problems and it's causing problems even with simple stuff like staff. And, you know, if you can't get the staff, then everything else falls apart as well.
0: Yeah. Just before you, I, I had uh, Steve Cadigan, who's the chief of uh, the first chief uh, human resources officer for LinkedIn. Uh, he was my guest uh, in, in the previous episode. And we talked quite a lot about, um, you know, uh, staffing and people and organization and building great organizations. Right now I can tell you with the challenge there is it was very timely for him to be a guest on this show because we're having a tremendous amount of staff shortages across the across the board here in the US how, how is that reflected because of the pandemic how is that reflected in in the UK
1: we're having we're having the same thing cuz and again the pandemic played into Brexit as well so um and this is sort of broad based stuff. But a lot of a lot of the European and and particularly low paid uh, workers who are in the UK, went back home, went back either to mainland Europe or or, or, or further afield. And you know, these are now roles which are and we've had the you know, classic example is HGV drivers, we've had you know, the, the HGV industry has been complaining that there just aren't enough drivers to drive the trucks. Because a lot of them were, were low paid and came from Europe and and, and did the work that the UK uh, people
0: wanted to want to do, want to do. <laughs> um,
1: and, and they've gone back and they've gone right. You know, thank you very much. Why would I want to come back there where I'm not welcome? Um, but it goes all the way down the the supply chain. You know, all the way down through all these what are perceived as. Uh, low value low paid roles but but then you realize the whole of the rest of of the economy falls apart and things like you know food food pickers in the fields you know the stories of of you know uh crops going rotten because we can't get the europeans in to do the picking that the british people wouldn't do and and you know it doesn't really help it doesn't make a lot of sense uh but you know some people voted for that
0: you know it's interesting. I just learned something really valuable here. the Im- immigrants taking my job fallacy knows no boundaries. I can I can replace Europeans with some other immigrant group here in the United States. Left. the statement is exactly the same, right? And then when you yep. when you're hit with these kind of uh, labor shortages where there are uh, restaurants they cannot keep their restaurants open because they don't have enough staff to staff it they yep. there are. Even gigantic uh, players like Walmart cannot keep some of the, their stores or they're way understaffed because uh, you know they just don't have enough people. Either they moved because of the pandemic or they, they said, oh, you know what, I, somebody else is giving me a bonus. I'm going to go and a sign-on bonus. I'm going to go and join that company. Uh, why, why should I keep this? I mean, even if it's extra, uh, what is it, uh, $500 or £500 for a sign-on bonus, It's it's $500 more. For my family that I didn't have before, you know. So it's it's interesting you bring that up because uh, there is no boundaries. Like I'm sure that every every country you point to on the map, they will everybody will say, oh, the foreigners are taking my job, right? And yeah. and the fact is, like if if the, if that group didn't do the work, you don't have stuff on the shelf for you to buy to bring as groceries and pantry products, you know, to bring to your home for yeah. food. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yep. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, now, now, I, I, we, I think we talked quite a lot about uh, goods, right? G- Goods-based companies, right? Product-based companies. Well, what about the service side of the equation, right? Hospitality, uh, consulting, um, you know, web design, whatever, you know, things that are more service-oriented. They're not products. Uh, what are some of the challenges there with those kind of organizations?
1: Um, I think if you take if we leave hospitality out because then you get back into serving staff and we get back we get back into the same argument again yeah i think with a lot of the service industries what they're finding is there aren't enough qualified or good quality people going yeah you know, because let's take some let's take something simple like web design you know web design has been around for 20 years so you know as Lots and lots of businesses grow, and and you know they need more web designers, they need more coders, they need need more you know, techies. Yeah, you know, there aren't, there haven't been enough of them coming through the production line of schools and and universities. And and yeah, you know, there seems to be like an arms race of of quality people on the service side of things, where you know from from what I'm hearing, you know salaries and and bonuses and things like that, and and working conditions are going up and up and up. Because the quality is just not there, and there's, there's, you know, you mentioned you mentioned LinkedIn in recruitment. Yeah, there's there's an arms race for quality quality staff. I think that's the big issue that's out there. I think there's enough business out there. It's getting the right quality people to do the business. In I suspect, in lots and lots of service industries.
0: Yeah, and uh, now I want to start using because we we're talking about high level topics. I would like to start talking about some examples so that uh, you know uh, the audience that watches whether they're watching it live right now or they're watching it uh, in, in a recording, I want them to take away different kind of examples to see, you know, if it, if it fits their situation, right? Uh, and the, and the three, uh, three categories, two of them actually are very near and dear to my heart. One of them has to do with my aunt's business in Canada. Uh, she, she, uh, she's interested in doing something like this, uh, which is a children's nursery. And and I, I definitely there is something that you have done that you and I talked about uh, uh, b- while, before the show uh, when we were talking while we were waiting to go live. The other one, I actually in the U.S. I helped a, um, um, a landscaping company, a landscape uh, equipment company, um, and I want to talk about property maintenance. You know, uh, th- those are two definite examples. And the third one I think is going to be phenomenal would be would be online gaming. So. If you could okay. talk kind of let's let's uh, kind of dissect each one of those uh, examples so that I, I would like to bring valuable insights into into this. So the UK SMEs, the owners that are watching this, they can get a ton of value from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. OK. So just to give you some a, a, a broad overview first. So, so my role, um, I call myself a business sounding board, sort of halfway between a business coach and a mentor. Um, And what I do is I help the business owner to be a better business owner. And you've already mentioned it, you know, that that whole it's lonely at the top. When you run your own business, a lot of the time, it's just you, it's just you making the decisions. Some of them are, you know, seat of the pants decisions, some of them are gut decisions, and some of them are just finger in the air, this feels like it might be right. And what I try and do, is having been on that business journey of of launch startup growth and sale is actually to sit by the side of a another business owner and go okay let's talk about what you want to talk about let's talk about your issues i've been there i've done it um and i can speak from experience and hold their hand and give them that that i don't give them the answers i give them the opportunity to ask the question go does it you know it's usually along the lines of Does this sound like a good idea? I've got this problem. How would you think about solving it? Or I've got this opportunity. How would you maximize it? Um, Or I've got three brilliant ideas or three strategies, which is the best way forward or as entrepreneurs tend to do shiny new object syndrome. Oh, I read about something at the weekend. Let's go. Let's go and do it now. And then next week, it's like we're doing something else and something else. Um,
0: I I, I call that the, the toolbox fallacy.
1: We call it shiny new object syndrome. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other sort of aspect of what I, what I do. One of the brilliant things about being, a, being a business owner is you make the decisions. You can decide what you want to do whenever you want to do it, which is great. The downside is you end up not doing the jobs you really should be doing because you don't like them. Um, I compare it to sort of pushing a cold piece of broccoli around the plate. You know, it's good for you. You know, you should eat it, but you just don't. Um, and then the other side of it is actually doing stuff, conversely, doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. So that's pretty much, and that, that's, that side of things is more an accountability partner. So it's actually saying, hey, Sabir, last week, you said you were going to do A, B, and C. Did you do them? If I wasn't there, you'd go, mm, I don't really want to do A, and I don't want to do B, but I might do C. You know, so it's that sort of thing. So, that's that's a sort of broad based idea of what I do with business owners. So I don't I don't go in there and say, this is how to run your business, I'd help the business owner. So the three examples we talked about, um, the first one, and and this will resonate with anybody who's started in one location and then expanded to lots and lots of different locations. Um, so this, as we mentioned, this was a, um, a children's nursery, um, had grown to a really big sized uh, group of if I remember, there were seven or eight nurseries Um, and the business owner. And, and I'm not sure she's online, but if she's online, I apologize, I'm not being rude about it. She still hadn't, she still hadn't moved from from being a children, a, a, a somebody who ran a children's nursery to the CEO of a multi million pound multi location business. And that was where her struggle was. And what I had to do with her was sit down with her and go, look, you are, you're a CEO now. You've got, I can't remember it was 100 plus staff, um, you know, I say multi-million pound turnover, very successful business. But in certain aspects of it, you still think you're running a nursery. And that would be the same with any type of business. And it's and this is what I'm, this is what I was mentioning before about as your business grows, you end up still doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. And in my case, I did exactly the same thing. So as our business grew, I was still doing stuff, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years into the business journey, that a CEO shouldn't be doing. Because I'd either not let go, or not delegated it to somebody. And until somebody actually says to you, you shouldn't be doing that, somebody else should be doing it, then you go, Oh, actually, that's, that's true. And, you know, for many, many years, I was still the one doing the invoicing. Now, with all due respect to bookkeepers around the world, you know I wouldn't pay what I was paying me to be a bookkeeper. So just from a financial point of view, it makes no sense whatsoever for me to do the bookkeeping and me to chase be chasing debts and sending out invoices. Um, Because not only is there's that cost element, there's the opportunity cost element as well. So what I should be doing CEO stuff, not bookkeeping stuff. And a lot of this was the sort was the sort of issues we had with this children's nursery, um, and then what we also had was, part of it was accountability we talked about. Have you done this? Have you done this? And part of it was actually her looking for approval from me to do proper grown up CEO stuff because she'd never done it before. Hmm. It was like, is it okay if I do this? Or, or you know, I'm thinking of doing this. Is that you know, am I am I okay doing it? And I think we all do that as we grow our businesses, because you start up with an idea. You think it's great. You know, you talk about I can make pizza. Then you make a you have a pizza restaurant. Then you have two pizza restaurants Then you have ten pizza restaurants. The fact that you make the best pizza is irrelevant if you're the CEO. And and that was sort of part of part of the growth there. And I think that was the learning she got is it is actually sort of changing her position from being the best pizza maker to running being CEO of a, you know, Ten restaurant pizza company.
0: Actually, uh, you brought up the pizza. I wanna, I wanna. This is an analogy I use with all business owners, right? Uh, what you just said has two aspects to them, right? One aspect is the the owner is very talented at at a certain craft. They know they have a skill set that they're amazing at. So I'll say, okay. There's a difference between being a chef and being a restaurateur. A, a person who runs restaurants, especially restaurant chain, the pizza chain you just mentioned, that's completely a different skill set than you knowing what how much flour, how much water, how much salt, and how much to bake it in the thing and Phil Phil's pizza is an amazing pizza. when he when he makes it, everybody lines up around the corner, right? But Phil as a restaurant owner, completely a different skill set, you know. Uh, So I I think that a lot of business owners, what happens is because the product has been the thing that the first part of the phase of the business was running it, what they do is they say, oh, I know how to run the business of pizza. The business of pizza is very different than you making pizza. You know, Uh, this is why you could be amazing, amazing, phenomenal at making better tasting Better cooked hamburger. You know who will beat you every s- single microsecond of the day? McDonald's. Yeah. Every yeah. microsecond. Because McDonald's is not in the business of hamburgers. They're in the business of, of one, it's real estate. Number two, they through that real estate, they actually uh, deliver food. And they do it phenomenally with their staff, average age of the staff being in their teens. <laughs> That's an operating system, right? That's, that's, a, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is what you just said, but I want to actually monetize it. I want to I put a number against it, right? If you are a business owner, think about the value you bring when you're working on the best things you can do, not everything, the things you can do. When you do that, you can determine what your hourly rate is. You will know it's $100 an hour, 100 pounds an hour, 200 pounds an hour, whatever, right? When you look at that number, then look at the bookkeeper you need to hire. And if the bookkeeper is 20, 25 pounds per hour, right? Or $500 to do your books a month, whatever that, that number is, right? You know what? It's cost effective and financially responsible of you to hire that bookkeeper, that, that accountant to take care of that for you. Because when you are doing something, one, one, you're not a bookkeeper. And number two, if, if you're not, if you're doing something that you really are barely doing it, you should hire somebody who's professional at doing that. I mean, it takes time to find the right people, but do that. And then from that, the derivative of that comment is simplification. Identify the two, three things you do really well, meaning that nobody else in the business can do it better than you. You have to do those things. Just focus on just doing that 24-7 and 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 you your business will succeed if you do if you do all of these other things you know i want to do maintenance i want to sweep the floor great when you were in the first 6 months of your business you had to do everything but now you don't have to do a lot of those things anything that you could outsource outsource it outsource when i say outsource i don't mean overseas i mean outsource it to getting a bookkeeper getting somebody to sweep your floor somebody to Wipe your windows every day, every morning before your pizza shop opens, right? Any of those kinds of things that doesn't, that takes you away from your mission, you know, get somebody to do it because you should be really amazing at making amazing pizza. And if you want to extend that product line, maybe you want to do pineapple pizza or mushroom pizza or, you know, other types of cheeses or something like that. When you're not doing those things, that you're not supposed to do that's this is the profitable stuff you could be doing
1: and just just on just to finish on that topic um i would recommend anybody on on that topic to read a book called the e-myth um oh, a phenomenal a, book a, a phenomenal book and it, it's exactly that it's all about systems and processes and and duplicating um how things work in your business and it, it's exactly what you're saying it's it's about you know, you you know, you make the best pizza, but you're, you you have to now be the best CEO, completely. So uh, read that. I can't remember the author, um, but it's the E Myth.
0: There's a phenomenal book. I'll I'll drop the link on on, on Amazon uh, in the in the show description so that people can get to it, and also in the article I'll I'll definitely put it. Now now the other topic. I mean, the other uh, situation that you were involved in, a project that you were involved in, had to do with the property maintenance business. And this is interesting about you know I, I, briefly if you could describe what the challenge was and how you went around it. It, it actually t- touches another part of it, which is an extension of what we just discussed.
1: Okay, so so this is um, property maintenance business. It's B two B, so they work with uh, large corporations who own lots of lots of property, lots of flats, all that sort of stuff. Um, they had identified um, a new business to consumer sector that they wanted to get into. And and I got talking to them about it. Uh, And what they realised very, very early was, they wouldn't be able to get into the B2C stuff, because they were still too much, they were too hands on, on their B2B business. Um, So what we did, and, and again, this goes back to something I said earlier, I've had this exercise done with me on my business, so I know how well it worked. So I sat down, they only had a small team, I think it's four or five. I sat down with each of their team members and basically said right, okay, tell me everything about the business. the good bits, the bad bits, how it can be improved, what you don't like, what you do like. almost like a SWOT analysis of the whole business. Um, but I'm not going to report this back to uh, to the owners as you know Sabir said this, this, this. I what I will do is once I've spoken to everybody, we'll pick up some themes and I will report back as on a theme basis. Um, so we did that and I sent this report back to, to the, to the do, to business owners, um, it immediately. And, and I think this happens with a lot of businesses. They, I don't think they realized the quality of the staff they had. And I think they didn't possibly didn't recognize how much, um, the team actually enjoyed working for the business. Um, and it, it opened their eyes to the fact that actually, they could let go of stuff, they could delegate stuff down, they could let other people do other stuff, which would then in the long term, then allow them to look at the B2C business. But the other thing that came out of it as a side effect was because the team now felt they were contributing to the business strategy, they were totally bought into the strategy as well, because they contributed to it. They It wasn't the boss saying, we're going to do this, this, and this. They were saying, this is a good idea. This is a good idea that we could do this. We could do this. And there were a couple of system changes they did. There was something, I mean, one of the one of the daftest benefits of it was one of the guys said, I've got a PC, uh, but I've only got one screen. It'd make me really more efficient if they had two screens, right? And he'd never, I think he might've mentioned it, but he'd never really addressed it. And one of the joint CEOs said, oh, I've got a spare. I've had a spare in my office for like years. And it was just you know, and it, you mean, that just that simple thing increased this guy's productivity just because it, it it got discussed in this thing. But what they said to me, the feedback I got from them was, this was the best business exercise they'd ever done. And value. Now, as I said, I me in my business, basically the way. Just go away. Let us get on with the business. And actually what happened was it made the business more profitable because I was in the way. We talked about shiny new objects in the room. <laughs> I'd go in on a Monday morning. I'd go in a Monday morning and say, hey, it's a great new idea. So they would do it. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'd say, you know, why hasn't this you know, sort of normal stuff been done? Oh, well, we're working on the exciting new Yeah, you project. told me
0: to do this other stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I said, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. I, f- I, read, something in, I read something in the Sunday Times on, Monday, on Sunday, and we're doing that now. So they would just like say, will you just leave us alone? Let us do our work. If there's any problems, we'll tell you. Otherwise, just go away. So, so this whole feedback, this sort of 360 feedback from the team as a project is so beneficial to the business because the business owner gets to hear stuff that he wouldn't normally hear. And in most cases, you know, those people who are nearest... Um, you know, the, the, or on the shop floor or nearest the, you know, right in the, right in the, the heat of the business, probably the ones who see the problems and know the problems and can tell the boss who maybe can't see them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, think it, the advice there for the business owner is, is twofold, right? Either you have a personality that you're forthcoming and you are okay with listening to criticism or, or, or recommendation, right? Or you're a personality that you think that you know everything and all the people you have hired don't, they don't know anything. And they, you just want them to, whatever you tell them, they're going to do. What that does, it just kills the morale of the people and they're never going to give you any feedback. Even if it's a disastrous one, they go like, oh, you told me to do that. That's why I didn't do anything else. You told me to just keep on lifting that box. I, that's all I did all day long, you know, because you told me to do that versus if it's a very open culture where uh people are f- forthcoming and and the owner is okay with that right then i think that company succeeds in in a big way and also related to that i think if you if you think that the answer the better answer is always outside not within your people that's a problem also you know in certain times it makes sense to go out and get a consultant to get us a beer to get a fill right but did you really exhaust all of the possibilities whether you have five people working for you or 50 people working for you did you at least do a very basic check to see can you tell us what problems exist in your line of work right i'm sure that you will get you'll get a list of list of things that that are that could be done better for example get me a second display monitor so I can do my job better, right? It sounds like a very innocent and simple thing, but I'm sure that that was collecting dust, the suggestion and the monitor for five years, you know? And it was just sitting there, and that was five years worth of uh, productivity down the drain, you know?
1: Yeah, and it, it's it, it, it's about creating... I mean, that, that obviously, that's a one-off project, and, and I would recommend anybody who's not done that to do that because it is hugely eye opening. It really, really is. Um, Plus you get an enormous amount of buy-in, but I think on an ongoing basis, you have to have a culture in your business that allows people to be able to say, Hey, Phil, Hey, Sabir, I've got this idea. Or, you know, you said we're doing this, but actually, wouldn't it be better if we did it this way? And unless you've got a culture that allows people to do that, you're not going to see that and you're not going to get the benefit of their idea, but you're not going to get the best out of them either. You know, one of the things we used to do with our business, we 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 had a monthly team meeting where the whole team was involved and, and basically everybody discussed everything. Because my thought was always, you know, the best sales idea doesn't necessarily come from the best salesperson. You know, the best UX web idea doesn't come from just the web designer, you know, somebody might said, "Oh, I was on a brilliant website at the weekend, and it did this. And oh, we could do that on our site. So everybody having access to all the information, but also then being able to feed in, just gives you that culture where and, and it, it can only benefit the business. Because you've then got you know, if you've got 10, let's say you have got 10 staff, you've got 10 sets of ideas coming at you, rather than just you as the boss going, I'm, I'm the only one that's got an idea and I'm, the. you've know, got one One way and one way only. You've now got 10 sets of ideas coming at you. And, and, and as you quite rightly said, you have to be a certain amount of, per, a certain type of person who will go, okay, I got it wrong. Or yeah, we'll go with your idea.
0: Yeah. Now one, um, now, the t- third topic I, want, I wanted to touch on, the example I wanted to touch on, was the online gaming, which is completely like a like, uh, more techie company. Um, uh, there, there are no reference points, right? It's all very hard to find reference points. Like, if you have a pizza shop, you can look at 500 years of pizza shops and learn from it, right? But if you're in, in tech, you might need to pave the way, right? You need to figure out what the right answer is or trying to get to the right answer, right? So, uh, if you could share your experience with that online gaming uh, example, and and what sort of a challenge you faced, and how how you fixed it.
1: Okay, so this was um, this was somebody I because my business was in the online gaming space. We were in online bingo, so this was actually somebody I'd known for quite a while, um, and he came to me, and I think he possibly came to me because of because we knew each other from the, the sector background. Um, but I don't think the sector background was was specific to the the problem, the issue. What he'd done, he had built um, a number of small businesses with sort of different business partners in different bits of the business. Some bits were done by freelancers, some bits were just him, some bits were somebody else, some bits had growth opportunities, some bits were great ideas that just hadn't grown because he's not going to... So you can imagine he had this huge sort of pile of stuff that really was just drowning in and yeah. You know, each of those and, and I've had a I've had a um another client who's slightly similar as well with with sort of two or three different bits to a business where his was the second one was slightly different in he, he he had three businesses that sort of made up enough money to make it one business and I said to him well why don't you get rid of one just focus on two or just get rid of two and focus on one Um, He said, I can't do that because the whole works, that's a different issue. This guy had lots and lots of different bits, which were all doing quite well and different opportunities, but just couldn't untangle it all to clarify what it was he needed to do. Um, So really all I did, and this was sort of classic sounding board stuff, was just go, okay, let's talk about this business. Then we'll talk about this business. Then we'll talk about this one, We'll talk about the opportunities and what happens next and what you want to do with it. and one of the questions I always ask my clients, one of the early questions I ask my clients is a very simple question, which is, what does perfect look like in a year's time? Now, that might sound a bit like a simple question, but actually what it does do is it clarifies where your strategy is going. So let's take two let Let's take two extremes. Um, you know, what does perfect look like in a year's time? I wanna sell the business. What does perfect look like in a year's time? I wanna buy a competitor. As soon as you say this, are two very, very simple answers to a simple question, but they then set completely different strategies off. So what we did with this guy was basically said, okay, what do you want to do? What's perfect look like for each of these? And what, and more importantly, what does perfect look like for you? Sort of sitting in the middle. And having gone through that sort of process with him, it, it's almost like untangling a knot. And you know, If you had four or five bits of string all tied up together we undid them all see them all and and you know part of the issue quite obviously was delegation which tends to happen when you're when you're doing sort of smaller businesses um and part of it was seeing where the opportunities were and part of it was seeing actually where you're wasting your time where you're and it goes back to what we're talking about with the bookkeeper not doing where you can maximize your value and in the end, when we got to the end of the, the time we were together, his testimonial to me, and I'll paraphrase, basically said, you've allowed me to fall back in love with my business. Because he was just drowning. I think, you know, he just didn't know where to go. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, the answer to the question, what does perfect look like in a year's time? I think one of his answers was, I want to play golf every Friday. Now, you can do that if you put things in place to allow you to do that. Um, so yeah, that was that was that sort of, and again, I didn't give him any particular answers. We sort of got to them together just by prodding and poking and asking questions.
0: I mean, I, I think getting to the right answer, it, it should be part of the strategy, right? It, it is, there is no perfect answer. I mean, if any, even if a business consultant, right? That think The person you think is the sharpest knife that you could possibly find. Maybe the sharpest knife in a different category has nothing to do with your category that you're in, you know? He may yeah. be, like, you may be an amazing boxer, but you get into an MMA ring and, and you might die within three seconds, you know? <laughs> and you might be amazing boxer, it doesn't matter, right? I'm just using that as an example, right? Yeah. You, could, you could insert anything, soccer player and tennis player, you know, uh, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh the best at doesn't mean that they're best at your business so they have to take that journey and the skill set they have might be helpful in getting to the right answer not necessarily they have a magical right answer you insert money and magical answer comes out you know yeah for your
1: business you know just just those three examples we talked about so we talked about your children's nursery uh a maintenance company and an online gaming company three completely different companies but the issue is, is and, and this is where I come in, is, is the business owner makes the decisions and it's them just saying, look, I need help to be a, a better business owner. You know, I didn't put a strategy in place for the maintenance company. I didn't put a strategy in place for children's nursery. I didn't put a strategy in place for the online gaming company. I just helped sort of clear the minds of, of the, the different business owners. So it doesn't have to be business specific. But it, it's to do with a business owner who goes right. I need some help being a business owner. Uh,
0: the the next topic I want to I want to touch on it has to do with, um, and, and I've had kids. I've had younger brother, right? Uh, it's like w- when you're young, you always look up and you say, "Oh, my elder brother is doing X Y Z, or older sister is doing this, right?" I, I I'm I'm going to do that, right? Uh, you you could be three feet tall but you want to jump and dunk the uh, the basketball that's nine feet up, you know? Yep. The answer is you can't. But what I see in businesses, there are a lot of SMEs. Like we even SME, I, I don't know why we're combining it together, but going from an S to an M, <laughs> from small to medium, is a journey by itself, you know? But, yep. and, and some small businesses, even though we are talking about growth and growth challenges and stuff like that, Overexpansion is a big problem too, right? Overexpansion. When you're small, you have, you're have you barely doing it with one store, right? Let's use an example of, a, a, I don't know, a nail salon, for example. You're barely doing it or a pizza store. We have been using it con- consistently, right? You have one pizza store. You're barely doing it okay. Now you go like, oh, you know what? We should be a pizza chain. I'm going to open up three more. You're barely doing one. Now you want to have four right? Uh, or worse, the government, like in the US, th- this happened, uh, they started giving a lot of funds out to businesses to help them through COVID. Some people actually use those funds to expand their business, you know, not just make payroll, but to expand their business. I, I have a very specific example of, a, again, restaurant, one restaurant, and they o- the guy opened up eight more res- restaurants. He was barely doing it with one, you mm-hmm. know, and now he has eight because government was the driver Helping him get funding to open up eight more, right? Uh, What are your thoughts on when you when you look at that sort of a situation where, on on the surface, you're gonna clap and go like, "Wow, business is booming, business is growing," but the example I used of a three feet tall younger brother trying to jump and you know he wants to slam dunk uh, a nine feet up hoop in a in a basketball, it, it just doesn't make sense. What what are your thoughts on overexpansion in SMEs in the UK?
1: I think it's 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 the same wherever it might be. There is there is always that danger that um, you just can't cope. Either you can't cope operationally, or you can't cope as a business owner. You don't have the skill set to do it. You know, go back. We'll go back to, we'll go back to the pizza chain again. You know, managing two know two or three two or three uh, chefs and a couple of delivery people in a, in a in a pizza takeaway. That's fine. Yeah. You know, then managing the supply chain of, of five pizza restaurants and everything else that goes with it uh, is a problem. But also, you've, you've also got it. You've also got that problem of if, let's say, you, you've got some free Facebook or some free local advertising on TV, and a hundred people came into your pizza shop, and you've only got one guy making pizzas. You're just gonna you're gonna end up upsetting and disappointing ninety nine or ninety five people. So actually you may well be better not expanding. Because often people think, you know, growth, 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 I've got to get bigger, I've got to get bigger, I've got to get bigger. Sometimes people are very happy not doing that. I know I've got a couple of quite close friends who have got small businesses, and are very happy with small businesses, and don't want to go any, any, any bigger than that. And that's absolutely fine. And people often use the phrase, you know, oh, I've got a lifestyle business. And and it's almost frowned upon. Oh, it's not a proper, it's not a proper grown up business. It's just a lifestyle business. Well done. If you want a lifestyle business, that's great. And if you don't want to expand, that's great. But if you are going to expand, you have got to put a plan in place to be able to do that properly. And you know all the different things that, that maybe we talked about before: you know, supply chain, marketing, operations, staff expertise, management skills, all those sorts of things. Yeah, they're really. It is dangerous. Yeah, go for it, but have a plan in place to do it properly, and have the right things in place to do it.
0: I mean, I think one wise thing for that pizza owner uh, with one shop, I think one recommendation, solid recommendation from me, at least, it would be: before you open up a second shop, document the operating system for this one shop. Then you can replicate it hundred times. Every aspect of it, everything from where do you get the napkins to utensils to the cheese to salt, who the contact is, uh, you know, when does the shop open, what sort of people do you need to hire, what are their job descriptions, what are their responsibilities, how much payroll you need, all of that stuff. If you can do that, then when you hire a store manager, you can give them that operating system, go like, go and study this operating system. This is how we operate. And before I give you this other store, you need to come here and spend a week, um, you know, operating this store so that you learn how we actually actualize this operating system in the store. And then they can take the operating system and go and open up the other store and then hire the people and all of those kinds of things. You know, it's almost like a, um, I don't know if, if it's prominent in the, in the UK, in the US, there's plenty of franchise model businesses yeah. that, and that's how they work, you know? But if you can take a lesson from a franchise, I'm not saying that you turn into a franchise, but, if you take that one learning, which is great, creating an operating system, and then implement it uh, in in your business, I, I think it would be phenomenal. This way, you could even take yourself out of that pizza shop and hire a store manager, and then all you're doing is counting the beans and being happy that you're making plenty of money. You know, you know, even yeah. from that first store. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, and you know, we've we've referenced it already, but that's that sort of documenting your systems and processes is, is exactly in the middle of the eMyth book. It's all yep. about systems, so you can just duplicate it and duplicate it and duplicate it.
0: So Phil, thank you very much for all of your, uh, you know, insights into the UK business. I learned quite a lot myself, by the way. And um, I, I always ask my guests for their number one, uh, you know, I usually ask, I usually say $100,000 expert insight I know that there is some sort of a currency exchange here, but I'm going to ask you for a hundred thousand uh, pound sterling uh, expert insight into helping uh, SMEs. What should they look out for? What, what is your number one advice?
1: Um, I would, I would go back to something I've said already, which is, um, what does perfect look like in a year's time? And as I say, it, when you ask it, it sounds like a really simple question. But actually, what it does is it, it sets your target for the year, and it sets where you are going in a direction. Now, it might be, but and, and what it does is it, it, it waterfalls lots and lots of different things. So let's let's take a, a, a simple example. I want uh, I want a, a million pounds worth of sales or a million dollars worth of sales by the end of the year. Okay, that's fine. So let's now talk about what needs to happen for that to happen. Yeah. Do you need a new sales team? Do you need a new sales manager? Do you need a new product line? Do you need to increase prices? Do you need to actually stop selling something because it's not making enough profit? Um, and then that then expands into, okay, what's the market doing? What's the, you know, where are the opportunities? Where are the customers gonna come from? Then we go, okay, well, if that's the case and we need a marketing budget, so who's gonna do, how much is the marketing? where's that gonna come from? Who's gonna recruit the sales manager? Who's gonna create these new products? Where are we gonna supply them from? Where's our supply chain? You know. And that's that's just a microcosm of it because then it waterfalls again. So we go, okay, we are gonna we we're gonna recruit a sales a sales director, or VP sales as you call them. Okay, how do we do that? So we maybe we we'll speak to a recruitment consultant, or when we or we also have to write the job spec. So who's going to write the job spec and how much we're going to pay them? Well, who's going to research the market to find out how much we should pay? Who's going to do the interviews? Where's his desk going to be? Which office is he going to be in? Is he going to be in New York or is he going to be in San Francisco? You know, this is all. Just waterfalls and waterfalls and waterfalls down. So the key for every business owner is that sort of strategic plan, the long-term plan. Now, I use, you know, what does it? I, I use the question, "What does it look like in a year?" What we had as a business, we had a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. It comes, gonna reference another book, which comes from Jim Collins, "Good to Great."
0: Yeah.
1: Which is actually setting yourself a massive, a big, hairy, audacious goal. What is the biggest goal you could do as your business? And as a business we had, we had our goal was to be the world's biggest supplier of online bingo players, okay? Now, the time we wrote that, and actually a consultant helped us do this, the time we wrote that, we were four people in in an office above a sandwich shop in a, in a, a regional UK town. So, that was our, our big hairy audacious goal. And then that breaks down. But but the key is the strategies, where are we going? And you know, if you need some external help to do that, if you need somebody else to contribute to that, that's that's going to be your your sort of shining light to to set everything else in place and everything else in motion.
0: Well said, Phil. Thank you very much for being on the show. And thank you, audience. I know that it's pretty late in the UK and, and Europe and We've had a lot of uh, audience members joining us from there late night. So uh, if you're an SME, I'm sure that late night is not a problem for you because you're getting a great education here. And, and, and thank you again, Phil, for joining us. And thank you, audience, for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Sabir.